0: through seven as we begin our uh, series uh, throughout the month of January and a little bit different. We're going to do uh, Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights. Wednesday night will be in here as well come and come be a little more informal time on Wednesday night but we we'll encourage you to come. Uh, we hope that each lesson is a lesson unto itself so don't feel like if you miss uh, one particular week that uh, you're in trouble and can't catch up because each lesson is unto itself. Although it, it, we are Live, on stream, online—you can find it, or we can get you a CD, or I'll come to your house and preach it to you. Whatever you need. But Revelation chapter one, gonna, uh, Revelation chapter two, going to begin reading that here in just a moment. I did hear the story of a policeman who pulled over a fellow for uh, running a red light, and he put him in jail for two or three hours. After put him in jail for two or three hours, came and got the man out. The man said, "Why did you put me in jail for two or three hours for just running a red light?" Didn't you see what happened? The lady in front of me, she stopped at a green light. The light turned red, then it turned green again, and just before it turned red, she sped off. That's the reason I ran the red light. The policeman said, Yes, sir, I saw that, but I also saw you, and I saw that you were yelling and screaming, and you were pumping your fist, and you were uh, honking your horn and jumping up and down. And then I saw on your car you had the bumper sticker that said Jesus saves. I saw on your trunk you had a Jesus fish and you had a cross hanging from the rear view mirror. I put you in jail because I figured you must be in a stolen car. (laughs) We hope that as we live our lives inside and outside the church we hope that it becomes much more consistent along the way. That people be able to see who we are always and uh, whether we are in church or whether we're out of church or no matter who we are with. We hope that the opportunity to become and to be able to look and study these seven churches revelation help us to do that very thing if we can discover God's vision for this church and for each of our lives individually we'll be more consistent in our Christian life someone said to grow a great church you must grow great Christians let there be no doubt that we are wanting to grow disciples we are wanting to help people to be able to have a growing relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and reaching new people with the gospel Since the word revelation means an unveiling, as we learn more about Jesus and about ourselves and about our relationship with Christ, each time we look at a church like we will today, we want to reveal or have an unveiling of what the Lord may be teaching us and maybe particularly what we believe God's vision is for His church in 2019 and beyond. Now, before we even read about this first church, certain things will help us in our understanding These were actual churches that John wrote to in the first century. They were all located in what was then Asia Minor, what is now present-day Turkey, the first church being Ephesus. In fact, if you put them all on a map of where they are or where they used to be, it would almost be a counterclockwise going around that particular part of the world in which it was read. Some people, students of the Bible and some preachers of prophecy, will tell you that these seven churches represent... Seven stages or periods of time in world history. The first church we look at today could represent the first hundred years. And the last church, the church of Laodicea, represents the church in the last stages, the lukewarm church. And that may or may not be the case, but what we want to understand is that as we look at these seven churches, they represent all churches and represent churches in every generation, and that we are able to learn from each one of these. Revelation being a book of symbols. The number seven often symbolizes completion. So we understand that there's a lesson to be learned in each of these churches, and there's a lesson here for us. Thus we are to examine each church. And today as we look at the church at Ephesus, don't just look backwards as if it's just for a people long ago, and don't just look for something that may be something off in the future, that may or may not affect you. But let us read it as if it's a first-time letter for the Parkway Baptist Church, Auburn, Alabama. And I think you'll be surprised how appropriate this church is, not only for this church, but also for you individually. Now how can a letter that's written 2,000 years ago A church to a church in a culture so different from our own on the other side of the world have any relevance or message for each one of us today. Each one of us, no matter where we are in our journey, no matter what's happening in our church. Well, it's part of the mystery. It's part of the eternal nature of God's Word. I'll go even further than that. The Lord knew that you were going to be here in this place in this very hour in the first Sunday of January of 2019 and that this was a message that you and I need today. So we're going to read it such as that. We're in Revelation chapter 2, going to read verses 1 through 7. Would you stand and honor the reading of God's Word today? To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, The words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to each to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. May the Lord bless the reading of His holy word. And you may be seated. You have your notes there with you today. and You see kind of maybe the subtitle that is with us. We want to move from being a good church to a Christ-centered, loving church. Moving from a good church to a Christ-centered, loving church. Church. To the first of the seven churches, there are seven verses and seven parts. Now, the number of verses is not always the same with every church that we'll look at. But these seven parts pretty much are true for all seven churches. So this morning we're going to take a pretty straightforward look at that. Probably we'll be maybe a little more inventive, a little more uh, imagined—not imaginative, but we're going to be a little more inventive as we uh, take a look as far as outlines and things that we can learn. But we're going to take a few minutes on each of the seven parts, and we'll slow down, pay particular t- close attention to the problem and the, to the solution. But to give you a heads up is what to look for. Each part of this letter to the church of Ephesus is held together by loyalty and love. Okay, we've got the seven parts ahead of us. Let's go begin to take a look at it. The first part is simply the introduction. The letters to the church of Ephesus. Now we know more about this church biblically than all of the other of the seven. Paul founded the church, stayed there for three years. Before the end of his third missionary journey as he traveled back to Jerusalem to face trial, he stopped once again near Ephesus. And there he gave instructions to the leaders of this church, and they wept bitterly when he told them he would not see them again. Some churches have a pretty good reputation. Sometimes they have a good reputation because of their pastor. Some churches can have a reputation in spite of their pastor, present company included perhaps. Ephesus had some pretty famous pastors. The apostle Paul pastored the church of Ephesus. Timothy pastored the church of Ephesus. Priscilla and Aquila were some of the same ones who served there. Even John the Apostle, the one who penned these words, after he got off the Isle of Patmos, he came and he pastored here at the church of Ephesus. It's a pretty good church. Paul writes a letter to this church and gives great compliments and further instruction. Now I want you to notice in this letter to Ephesus and the all seven letters... They're not like a lot of the letters that we read in the New Testament. They're a little bit different in that they were giving directly to John as to what Jesus wanted to say. Now, don't misunderstand me. All of God's Word is inspired. It's truth without error. I just want you to notice that Revelation 2-3 through was done different than all the other letters. John may append the words for the church at Ephesus, but Jesus wrote the letter. So not only do I want you to read it as if it's written to you, I want you to read it as if it's written to you and I, particularly from Jesus Christ. So that's the introduction. second part is the picture. It's the picture of Jesus. Remember, this book's not about future events. But as we think about Revelation, not just about future events, but it's about a revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation tells us 1 tells us that. And in Revelation 1, We're given a glimpse or to see Jesus in all His glory. There are pictures and descriptions of Jesus found throughout Revelation chapter 1. I know we're in chapter 2 now, but I'm telling you that because of the descriptions that are given in chapter 1, there's one, there's many descriptions, but there's one or two that is borrowed from chapter 1 and is used in each of the letters to the seven churches, specifically for that particular church because of what Jesus has to say to that church. Here, Jesus is described, we just read it a moment ago, as one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, walks among the seven golden lampstands, or the seven golden lampstands. Now, the lampstands are the churches. We're told that in Revelation chapter 1. He walks among the churches. He's in our midst even today, which means this is a place of comfort to know that He's so close and that He cares for us. He knows us. He knows our actions and, as well as our heart and our motivation. Now the stars he holds in the right hands are called the angels or the messengers of the churches. And the messenger of the church is identified often as the pastor or the leader of the church in whom he holds in his hand, which is good news for me. But it's really good news for you because your pastor your pastors need to be held in God's hand by God's grasp and His strength and not our own. In this letter sent to the messenger or the pastor, but it's to the whole church. Now sometimes I'll receive a letter in the mail and it'll say to the pastor. By the way, have you heard of this thing to where you can get a piece of paper out, you can write on it, stick it in an envelope, actually stick it in a box outside your house and if it has a stamp on it. It'll be They'll find it two or three days later in a box outside somebody else's house or outside of business. You've heard of those things. It's called snail mail because we think of how slow it really is. Well, consider this particular letter where there was hardly much public mail that was sent away. Mail was sent. Letters were sent, but often were hand-carried. There certainly were not international mail that was sent, which is what this was. So it took a matter of weeks or a matter of months in order for them to be able to receive this particular letter. But I still receive letters often addressed to the pastor, but it's clear that some of these are for the whole church but yes, much of what I receive is junk mail. A lot of that is advertisement. But this letter is no junk mail. And even the description of Jesus is not random, but it's significant, as we'll see here in just a moment. And then I told you we're working pretty fast. The third part is the compliment that's going to be given. The compliment that's going to be given. And it's a two-fold compliment. compliment is faithful to the work. The church is faithful to the work and faithful to the truth. They were a busy church. They were a hard-working church. They did many good things which were to be commended. They toiled and persevered. They grew tired but continued on. Now, they were not necessarily tired of the work, but sometimes we get tired because of the work. My goodness, if you've ever worked much in church, you've ever worked in vacation Bible school, gone to a children's or youth camp on mission trips, worked for the hospitality team or many other ministries we could mention, you sometimes get tired. And depending on whether you're Think it's worth it or you're doing a good work? It's a good tired, not tired of the work. You're just tired. Sometimes it happens. But they persevered and they were patient. It carries with it the idea of hanging in even when the going gets tough. You stayed with the church even when others did not. Are we we striking a chord at all with this? When times are bumpy and times are rough in the church, not everybody hangs in. I may be a little off here. It's the first Sunday of the new year, so we'll do a little bit of self-evaluation. I may be a little bit off about this, but as I think about Parkway Baptist Church, and if we do some self-evaluation, I feel pretty good about the church. I feel we have pretty good spirit that's happening here. We've seen our attendance increase in almost every area in our Sunday school and in our worship over the past year and over the past years. We've had more people involved in discipleship particularly this past year that we have. We have a Bible study uh, going on almost every day of the week at some time in some place, and people are being discipled. We've seen over the past few years we've seen many people who have been baptized. What number exactly? I don't, I don't know, but we've seen the Lord at work in people's, people's lives. You've given more through the budget every year, including this year, uh, than, uh, than ever before. You've been faithful in giving at the same time. We or I have lost more people to other churches in the last five years maybe than all of my 33 years in ministry before that, 23 years as a pastor before that. Now, uh, when there's change or things are happening or even growth, sometimes that happens. And maybe particularly in the Auburn area, we seem to like to swap sheep a lot for whatever reason. But you need to know, it still grieves my spirit when we lose a church member and someone goes off to another church. And I want to do two things. I want them to be able to know, and I want to, be, I want to pray for them, and I want them to know that I love them and want them to be in the center of God's will, wherever that is. After all, it's just us here today. We can talk about this, can we? We're okay. You look okay. But, uh, you know, after all, members are not mine. They belong to the Lord Jesus. And we want people to be in the center of the Lord's will. Now, some of you will not be here first Sunday of 2020. We'll lose two or three members, perhaps, who will pass away and go to be with the Lord. Some of you will have a change of job or graduate. And uh, you won't be here a year from now for whatever reason because you have moved away. Some will not like something that I've done. Somebody will disagree with somewhere where the money has been spent or they will have their feelings hurt and go to another church or fall out altogether. If you make that conscious decision today, here we are, first Sunday in January of 2019, if you make that conscious decision over the next year, can you covenant with me? It's just that you allow us maybe to -to face-to-face, let's pray together, let me be able to tell you how much I love you. And then I want you to be in the center of God's will wherever you do and whatever happens. Listen, without making any judgment on those who do not or those who did not, for you who have hung in there, you are faithful to hold on and to persevere. Jesus says that to the church. He also says to the church of Ephesus, I know that you cannot stand evil. He said to them, some have said that they are apostles, but you found and you know that they are not. You've called them out on it. They speak not the truth. We're ready, aren't we? I mean, we're not going to allow something other than the truth to be taught in God's church. If somebody teaches something in the church other than Jesus Christ crucified, rose again the third day, or against the Trinity or the sovereignty of God, the free will of man, or the Bible is truth without error, the reality of heaven and hell, Jesus is coming again. Jesus is the way and the only way. We're saved by grace through faith alone. You teach something other than the great truths of God's Word, we're going to shut you down pretty quick, aren't we? And we're not shy about preaching and teaching against all kinds of sins and evil. Jesus compliments the church of Ephesus and says, I know you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans. Well, my goodness, that goes without saying. Doesn't everybody hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans? Don't you hate the... Do you know who the Nicolaitans are? Here's the good thing, if you don't know who the Nicolaitans are, nobody really does. I mean, you can look at many commentaries. There are some theories out there about who they are, but nobody really knows who they are. They were people who were compromising the gospel. They were probably seeking to add other religion, even idol worship and immorality and still tell you that you could be a Christian seeking to lead others away and, uh, or others to either away from God or be able to fall away from the church. And that's who they were or who we think they were. Ephesus was an influential city. It was also diverse, many different kinds of people, race and economic diversity. And it was a religious center, but not necessarily for Christianity. There in the Ephesus was called the Great Temple of Diana, or the Temple of Artemis in the Greek. Diana would be the Roman way of saying it. And uh, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Excavation was showing that this temple was larger than a city block. One of had about 130 columns. Gentiles would travel all over the world to be a part of the offering sacrifices and pagan ritual worship. They would buy little Diana statues that they might be able to hang around their neck or put into their home or put on the dashboard of their chariot so that it might be good, bring good fortune to them. People would gather around the temple and they would chant, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. We have evidence of this found in Acts chapter 19 when the Apostle Paul was there. And When Paul came and started the Christian church, the impact in Ephesus was so great that the silversmiths who made the images began to lose money and caused a riot to either kill Paul or to get him to leave or to stop Christianity. But the church remained strong. One of the last lessons that Paul gave to the church there was that savage wolves would come in to destroy the church heard an interview with a celebrity where that celebrity was talking about her faith. and She described her faith something like this. Did she believe in God? Yes, she believed in God. But she said, I'm kind of having what I call a Heinz 57 religion. It's a little bit of this, a little bit of that, all mixed together. How dangerous to mix Christianity with worldliness, religion, and feel that it does not matter. Jesus complimented the church by saying that the deeds such as the Nicolaitans... Uh, that those deeds, just as they were, they did not fall to those." Note that Jesus hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans and not them. Can you see any similarities? My goodness, we stay faithful to the work. We keep on keeping on. We're faithful to the truth. We We want the truth to be taught. We stand for truth against falsehood and evil. I believe that Jesus would compliment us on some of these very same things that were complimented for the church of Ephesus. We might even think, what a good church we are. And even as I said earlier about, look at the things that we've done this past year and over the last years before, I'm a little uncomfortable with that, saying, look at what we did. And whenever we say, look at what we did, we know that we're in trouble because if anything good happens, we know that it's from Jesus. But if we were to evaluate and say, look how good of a church we are, well, that's when there may be a problem. Because there was a problem. We come to the fourth part, which is the problem, verse 4 For the church of Ephesus, they said, you've lost your first love. You have abandoned the love you had at first. The love and enthusiasm they had as new believers for Jesus had been lost. They were doing some right things, but they were not for the right reasons. Thus we're reminded of what Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, where he said, if I speak in the tongue of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy, can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor, give over my bodies to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Without love for God and others or good deeds or even hard work counts as little or nothing. Remember the picture of Jesus that we read? He's walking among the churches. He sees not only our deeds, but He also sees our hearts and our motivation. You may be a believer, and you do for the Lord, believe in Jesus and the Bible. But if you think, well, maybe there is something missing, this may be it. That first love needs to be renewed. Now, three kinds of love, perhaps, that may need to be renewed today. What greater time than as we begin the year to be sure that we've checked on these to make sure these are uh, being renewed in our life every day. First one is love for the Lord Jesus. His love for us never wavers, but we can falter. We can fall away, which is usually precipitated by spending less time with God, less time in the Bible, less time in Bible study, less time in worship. Have you lost the fire and enthusiasm for the one who paid the ultimate sacrifice for you? And also, perhaps we need to be renewed in our love for one another. Love for brothers and sisters in Christ. The church at Ephesus may have been so worried about being busy, so worried about being right, that they forgot to love one another. I'm not asking you to forget about the truth. Truth is important. But a zeal for the truth should be balanced and filtered by love for one another. If the fire of your love for God is flickering... And you're not showing love for the brethren in the church. Well, it may be that third thing needs to be removed. Your love for the lost. Your love for the lost world who need Jesus. Lord, help us not to lose our first love. Jesus tells us, you might remember, it is most important. Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord thy God. And the second is likened unto it. Love the neighbor as thyself. And so here Jesus identifies the problem, but you know that he never is going to identify the problem without giving us a solution. So if you're following along on our little seven-number outline that's found in these verses, number five has to do with the solution. And in verse five, we find the solution. It doesn't always work that way. The number corresponds with the verse. But in this case, we have there, depending on your translation, you might have three or four words that begin with the letter R. And each of those kind of help us to understand the solution to the problem if we need to renew our first love. The first one is to remember. Remember from where you have fallen. Do you remember what it was like when you first gave your heart and life to Jesus or were sold out to Him? I mean, most people go through an excitement stage. Do you remember that? If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus, do you remember all You wanted to be in church. You wanted to be in and around other people. Well, you found yourselves when you opened God's Word... Well, you find it kind of exciting to discover new things, and maybe a devotion book that you bought or somebody gave you, you wanted to be able to read it, spend time in God's word. And how about you, you wanted to serve. Where can I serve? Where can I best be? Where can I best fit in so that I might be able to serve God and serve his church? And you wanted other people to know Jesus Christ as well. And I say that in past tense. it may not be past tense at all for you. But sometimes, Christians go through another stage. Sometimes they go through a stage where they begin to study the deeper things of God and as they do, they become convicted about how they feel about following God's Word and following it precisely. And And as they do, sometimes we can come to a legalistic time to where we think this is exactly what we need to be doing. Our relationship becomes more about following God's Word precisely and we look down on those who are not doing as good as we are. Well, we remember as we look at this Scripture, understand we want to be obedient to all of God's Word, but we want to remember from whence we came. We're sinners saved by grace. Remember from where you've fallen. And today, I'm still a sinner, able to walk and able to serve the Lord Jesus, but only by His grace. What will it take to help you to remember Jesus' love for you and your first enthusiastic love for Him and others? Memory is often our way back to God. If this Scripture has helped you today then the next step is to repent. Two kinds of sins. So we repent of our sins. Two kinds of sins that we know of. One of those is the sins of commission. Those that we commit or that, which we do which is against God's law or God's will. And then there are sins of omission. That which we should do, but we're not doing. Both are sin. And Jesus tells us if your love has grown cold, not only you remember where you're falling, but you should repent. Now many of us feel bad about our sins, or we feel guilty that we're not doing all the things that we need to be doing, but that's not repentance. Repentance is to make an about face, is to go to wanting to please self, to go to wanting to please Jesus. You may have thought pleasing God meant staying busy, taking hold of the truth, hitting everyone else over the head with it, but you've discovered today, if it is done without love, or the love of Jesus growing in your heart, it is worth very little. You may not have known it before, this very moment, or you may have known it for a long time. But you might need to repent of unloving attitudes and actions. And for Christians, that leads to the third R, that is to return. Return and do the first works. Serve God and His church faithfully for the right reason. You may be looking for that loving feeling, but what you really need to do is that loving thing. Jerome Bruner, a Harvard psychologist, said this, you're more likely to act yourself into feeling than to feel yourself into action. I think I've got that on the screen so you can think about that for a moment. Don't worry. I know it's the title of the message. Don't worry so much about that loving feeling. Just be sure to love God and show love through actions and attitudes. John writes, or Jesus tells John to write to the church of Ephesus and to us, that if you've lost that loving feeling, that you've grown cold and the church has lost its enthusiasm... Remember from where you have fallen, repent of sin, return to do the work you are called to do. Whatever you know is right to do, that's what you should do in Christian love. We often, for some reason, and maybe it's our culture, or maybe even more so in this generation, we put a great deal of emphasis and stock into how we feel. But this text tells you to show Christ-like love when you feel like it. Show Christ-like love when you don't feel like it. Show Christ-like love until you feel like it. But we find, depending on your translation, there's a fourth R in verse 5, which is not something that we should do, but it's something Jesus will do if we do not renew our first love. And that comes under that sixth portion of that the warning. The warning. Do you remember the description of Jesus in verse 1 where it says, He was standing among the lampstands holding the seven stars. The description is important because they were depending on having the right theology or staying busy. But it's that love relationship that is most important. And Jesus is keeping the candles burning on the candlesticks, just as a high priest would do in a tabernacle or in a temple. And if a light would burn out, He would remove it or replace it. When love for Jesus or others grows cold, it's the first step toward the light being removed from the church. We've lost... All of our love and enthusiasm are no longer being the light through evangelism or missions. Jesus warns about the light going out unless we repent. Now don't get the wrong impression. It's not that our light burns bright, then suddenly it's removed. Lack of love causes lack of light until there is no light at all and the candle is removed and the church is dead. You need to understand the church that Jesus established. We're told, and Jesus told us, that the church will continue on. But individual churches die out all the time. Today there are people who meet in church buildings. Somebody unlocks the door. Somebody cuts on the lights. Somebody makes the coffee. They may meet in small rooms and circles. They may even sing songs and give their money. They may even blow off the dust and open their leather-bound Bibles but their coldness to the love of God blinds them to the words therein. Thus, they have stopped being the church. But that's not us. And I'm thankful that that's not us. It's the reason that we read these verses, the reason we have this warning. We're heading in a good direction. We want to continue in that good direction. And As we talk about the vision of what the Lord wants for us, He wants us to be that Acts 1-8 church. It says, but you shall receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you should be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. So we want to be a church to where the love of Jesus continues to grow in our life so much so that it's impacting the community around the church. So much so that we begin to care about people all over North America. So much so that we want to impact people and help others to impact people all around the world so that they might be able to know Jesus. Every member is to be a part of ministry, and every person is to be a part and own mission. And we're to be a missionary wherever we find ourselves, wherever God calls us. As we talk about it this year, it's our our theme for the year, to be on mission, or to be a missionary here, there, and everywhere. And I have good news. It is the seventh part, happens to be found in verse 7, that there's a promise. To the victor is the right to eat from the tree of life, which is the paradise of God. All true believers will enjoy the promise of life. To those who heed these words, He gives life and enthusiasm back to the church and to you and me. Do you remember ever asking the question about Genesis chapter 2? Remember the tree of life? There's a tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life. Well, what happened to that tree of life? Where is it? Well, we know it shows up in Genesis 2. It shows up again here in Revelation 2. And where do we find it? It's in paradise. The repentant thief on the cross, found out where paradise is. It's with Jesus. Paradise is heaven. And today we partake of the heavenly things, of the heavenly fruit when God's love grows inside of us. And again, the victor. To the victor is the right to eat from the tree of life. That word victor, again, is where we get the word Nike. Mentioned many times throughout the Bible, lots of times in the New Testament, but long before it was ever written on the side of a tennis shoe on somebody's t-shirt, It was a word that was used to talk about the victory that we have in Jesus Christ because of who He is. I want you to understand what's being said here. He is saying that all those who are true believers in the Lord Jesus Christ will have victory. We'll be able to be with Jesus forever in heaven. He's already living inside each one of us. It's not based on how good we are or how good we follow directions. But it's only based on the fact of God's grace and what He has done for us. You need to understand there's a huge difference between serving and doing so you might receive something in return versus serving and doing because because of a love relationship with Jesus and because of what you've already received and the promise of something good. You ever been driving down the road? And suddenly you see somebody coming up next to you or near you, and it looks like they're yelling at you and giving you gestures as if you did something wrong and you have no idea why. Can I get a witness that happens? Or maybe you actually accidentally did cut somebody off, and then that road rage uh, kind of uh, raises its ugly head. Well, I try to smile. If I think about it, I'll try to give a I love you sign or maybe the hang loose, it's all okay, you know, wanting to help. But I got to tell you though, those things don't always do a whole lot of good for those who may already be mad. When it comes to showing love to others, we're not going to be perfect at it. We will fail from time to time. But we have to keep trying and we have to keep growing. The Apostle Paul prayed this prayer for the Ephesians. May you be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love. Christ-like love is what Jesus desires most. It's one of my goals this morning that as you begin, we begin 2019 that you'll fall in love all over again with the Lord Jesus Christ and His living Word. Do you want to be find yourselves learning more and more from God's Word? Be a part of what's happening this month as we look at the seven churches and well beyond throughout this year and even more than that. And if you're a Christian here today, be sure that you are willing to open your heart again to that first love. If you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus, you want to be sure to open your heart for the first time and be able to experience the love of Jesus today. Let's bow together for prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for your presence in this place. We thank you, Father, that we believe that we have started off well to be together worshiping you on this first Sunday of this year. Father, we pray and look to you to give us guidance and direction in all that we do. We thank you, Father, for this first letter of revelation given to this first church of Ephesus. We pray, Father, that even today we might renew our first love with you renew an excitement in our hearts, a determination to persevere, to continue to grow, and to continue to love you more and show love to others as we seek to reach out to those who need to know you as well. We pray, Father, if there's one here that does not know you as Lord and Savior, that today might be the day of salvation. We lift these prayers in the precious name of the Lord Jesus. Amen.